Joy to be with you this morning. It uh, is certainly a joy to have Pastor Steve and Sam down visiting us in Honduras, and it didn't all go quite as we had expected and planned, but life is that way, is it not? That's kind of the first rule of missions is be flexible. And so that's kind of the first rule of life, I think. Just be flexible. Go with the flow. You never know what's going to come. But, you know, the wonderful thing is we have a, a God and our Lord who does know what's going to come. And he's in control of all of it. And so that we can have peace and rest and we can enjoy serving him. And so what a joy that is. Whether we're here in uh, this region of Redwood City or whether we're in Siguatapeque, uh, Honduras, it really, really doesn't matter. We just have a joy in serving the Lord. And so I, I do thank you for letting us come this morning. I am going to um, share some pictures with you because I think that's really important to help communicate. You know, some of us are good audio learners, some of us are good visual learners, and some of us are somewhere in between. And so yeah, I think it's just really helpful to explain to you about our ministry and explain to you, quite frankly, what you've invested in, for which we are very grateful and we're thankful to the Lord for uh, our partnering with you as a church and our partnering with you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're just going to go through some slides briefly, and then we're going to open the Word of God and, and just be reaffirmed that what we're doing is the right thing as we look to uh, train men for ministry in Central and in South America. So we'll just start. First of all, we serve at, at Ministerios Evangelicos de las Americas, which is MEDA. If you just put the first letters together, that's MEDA, and MEDA is a wonderful ministry, um, as you've already heard, and you're going to see a little more about it. We are Los Kensingers. Our last name, Kensinger, is very Hispanic, as you can tell. And uh, so this is, this is my family. And for those that are wondering, no, Steve and I are not actually related. Uh, we, we do have the pastoral haircut, as we used to call it in our church in Ohio. And, uh, but it's, uh, it was a joy, joy to meet him, uh, as they say, a brother from another mother. And we just kind of... It's great, great to meet him at Shepherds the first time and then have them down, both he and Sam, with us in Honduras. So this is my family, and the young lady you see in the forefront is Jackie, and uh, then, of course, me, and then our son Daniel. Daniel lives down in Los Angeles. We didn't go to the mission field till a little later in life, and uh, so he he's basically was at the master's college at the time studying, and uh, so he lives in L.A., has a job with a company there. And uh, attends a very good church. My wife, Sherry, you'll see another picture of her later, is the fourth one there. We've been married 29 years, and I don't know how she puts up with me, but I praise the Lord that she does, as most wives understand that. And then Caleb. Caleb's our middle child, and he's our special son. He has Down syndrome. He serves with us, and uh, I'm, we're just really thrilled to have him be a part of our ministry. He does wonderful. He's got just a heart for ministry. He does wonderful work in the areas that he serves. He loves to do PowerPoint in church. He loves to be an usher. He loves to take offering. And uh, he loves to do laundry. <laughs> so all of you ladies, all you ladies, just be jealous. Because unless, you, unless your husband does the laundry, because it's just a blessing for us in our household. Because Caleb, he does. He hears that machine go buzz, and he just has to go get it. It, it calls him. <laughs> and he folds the clothes, and he's just amazing. So we really love, love Caleb. And he, he's learning Spanish. It's amazing to watch and see. You know, here's this Down syndrome child. And, you know, he's... he's He's working on being bilingual. It's just amazing what he can do. So that's us. Those are the Kensinger. You can go on to the next one. We serve in Honduras. And, you know, I, I brought my little, what kind of a teacher would I be if I didn't have my little laser pointer? And so 
Uh, I was born in Michigan and lived most of my life in Ohio. My wife in Idaho, up in here. And, of course, we're somewhere in this region here. Honduras is just here. And so, really, if you were to go from here to kind of where I'm from, it's really about the same distance going down to Honduras from where you are. It's really just not that far. You can go on to the next one. And we serve in a town that's literally in the center of the Americas called Siguatepeque. Siguatepeque is right in the middle of Honduras. And the two major cities are the capital city of Tegucigalpa and San Pedro Sula. And the, cap- the historic capital is called Comayagua, and that's the state in which we live. So we serve right in the middle, middle of Honduras. Most of the population on Honduras lives right along this corridor right here where you see these cities. The eastern part of the country is mostly all jungle and drug running. Gang run, drug running. It's a very sad place and a very dangerous place. You can go on to the next one. <clears throat> It's a beautiful country. It's very green, mountainous, uh, just a very, very beautiful country. You can go on to the next one. Uh, they have very good food. It's, uh, every culture has its unique food, and this is typical food for Honduras. What you have here is a baleada. Baleada is basically a flour tortilla with refried beans and kind of a sour cream and cheese in it. And they, they love, if you go through my junior high Sunday school class and you ask them, what's your favorite food? About half of them are going to say baleadas. And so, and then these are Honduran tacos. They don't quite look like the Mexican tacos, but this is what they would call a taco. And then they have, now in Honduras, they're not as politically correct as we are, okay, up here in the States. And so they have, they call these that are a little darker with a, a, a beef meat, they'll call those catrachas. Catracha is the term that they use for Honduran women, and they're a little darker skinned. And then if you had chicken on it, say if this one had chicken on it, which is a little lighter meat, they call those gringas, which would be... And so they have catrachas and gringas, and that's, that's the way they look at their food. Uh, this is the national beverage of Honduras, Coca-Cola. And they, they love their Coca-Cola. They love their coffee, but they love their Coca-Cola as well. And so that, that's pretty typical food. You can go on to the next one. As Steve shared with you, Sam shared with you, they came down in kind of a violent time. They got to see, I don't know that we saw burning, did we see burning tollbooths? Yeah, we saw burning tires, I know that. And so we saw all kinds of things burning. The people were not happy about some governmental decisions, but we praise the Lord that's kind of settled down and people have just kind of decided that, you know, I I need to eat and so I need to go back to work. And so they've gone back to work. And actually, it's, it's interesting, the Honduran people, because overall, they're such a kind and loving people. They are very gracious and they are very hospitable. Their culture is such that if they're not hospitable, it's, it's an insult. It is rude to not be hospitable on, on a very high level. And so, but boy, you, you flip a switch, and when they get upset about something, they get really upset. And that's one of the areas where we are striving to teach that the Lord says, vengeance is mine. And while there are ways to, to protest, this may not be the best way for, for all those around. And so it's, a, it's certainly an opportunity within the country. You can go on to the next slide. There are beautiful people. Like I said, this is Camila. Camila goes to our church. She's the daughter of Nettie and Olga, just a wonderful couple. And uh, I think she is one of the most beautiful little girls in the world. And I just love her hair every time I get a chance to touch it. I, I just do. I, you, you may wonder why, but no, it's, I do. So that's Camila. She's adorable. You can go on to the next one. <clears throat> this is Maida. 
We do have a beautiful campus the Lord has provided. Uh, it's just an amazing story on how the Lord provided this property, but he literally did just drop it in the hands of those who are now the, the form the board of Meta and Carlos Montoya, our president. And it's uh, just a beautiful property. You can go on to the next one. <clears throat> just to explain a little bit about Meta, um, sometimes people get confused by all the letters, and that's easily done with, with any group or organization. As we shared, Meta stands for Ministerios Evangelicos de las Americas, the Evangelical Ministries of the Americas, and it's kind of an umbrella title. And if you, if you talk to anyone in Honduras, uh, they know it by Meta, but we have actually multiple ministries. We have a conference ministry. We actually have a men's and women's institute level of ministry that we're looking to enhance more. But our crown jewel ministry is our seminary, and that's called SEPE, which stands for the Seminary for Expository Preaching or uh, uh, El Seminario de la Exposición Predicación Expositiva. And then this would be, we're a member of the Master's uh, Academy International at TMAI. And as you are probably aware, TMAI has right now 17 or 18 different schools worldwide that train men for ministry that are doing exactly what we're doing in South Africa, in uh, Russia, in Ukraine, in Germany, uh, all over the world all over the world. Uh, in the Spanish world, there are, there are right now three different schools, one in Spain, one in Mexico City, and then us, and there are others that are, are working towards being a part of TMEI. So that's kind of what all the letters stand for. You can go on to the next one. Uh, like so many Hispanic countries, it's very Catholic. This is the, the Catholic Church in Comayagua, the city that's nearby, the historical capital built in the, the 17th, very early in the 17th century. Uh, actually, within this clock tower, not the face of the clock there, but the workings inside is actually the oldest clock in the world that, that functions. The oldest functioning clock in the world is just 30 minutes away from where we live. It was built in the year 1100 A.D. by Arabs and was given uh, to the king of Spain, which then passed it on to a nephew, as I understand it. He said, when you build your church and have a, have a tower to put it in, I'll give you this clock as a gift. And so that's what they did. And so it's fascinating to go up through the and see that clock and the clock tower. And it's really the other thing that's very unique about the culture is that you can see on the ground here the, the way the pavement is. These rocks actually form the shadow of the church. So with bricks and stones, they've made the shadow of the church. And during the summer solstice every year, June 21st, when you look out, the shadow exactly matches the shadow of the building. And so it's just very creative. They're very creative people. And so it's very, very interesting, very unique, but unfortunately very much uh, darkness in the area of understanding God and understanding our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because of, of Catholicism and now because of really the Pentecostal and charismatic movement, which is adding much confusion to uh, the Word of God. You can go on to the next one. Uh, these are some of our students, and they are enjoying some of the suffering that we are able to inflict upon them in taking an exam. And so they are taking an exam. Now, these, uh, this particular classroom is one of the first two that were built, and now we have four. With your help, we were able to finish the third and the fourth one. And so the other ones are just like it, except for we don't have curtains hung yet, and we don't have a few pictures on the wall. These are, there's a picture that a young lady who came drew of Spurgeon, and so it was so nice, we put it on the wall there. And so this is, these are our classrooms, and it is a very 
very comfortable place for the men to learn in and to study and to grow in their understanding of the Word of God. And so we are so grateful for these classrooms. In the video that you saw, some of the places where the men were learning were in some older classrooms, which you'll see in a minute is now our library, and also in our dining hall. And so having actual classrooms is just a bl- such a blessing. When Meta was built, it was built by a, a, another pastor through a donation and a, basically a different organization to be a conference center. And then the Lord... Uh, through just the way he works, he, he ended up putting that in the hands of, of what is now the Meta board and uh, as a gift. But because it was a conference center, it had no classrooms. And so there were two provisional classrooms put up, and um, they are now our library. But now we have four really good classrooms, which fits our need because we have it's a four-year program. You can go on to the next one. This was the graduation that Steve and Sam would have seen had they been able to stay for a month with us, but uh, they were not. So this was us in January. Uh, we're supposed to have the graduation in December, but this is us in January. Carlos is our, is our president. I'm sitting here. This is Carlos Nunez, a Honduran man that has served with us for 18 years up until this year, and he is pastoring a church now and has kind of his own coffee business. These other... Uh, Five guys that you see here in black are all graduates of the seminary, and they help us in our teaching, help with teaching, expository preaching. Uh, Edwin here teaches our Greek grammar, uh, and uh, Pastor Melvin here teaches our hermeneutics class, and they just do an excellent job, just very good. You can go on to the next one. <clears throat> this is Alex and his wife, um, Maribel, and they, they live in El Salvador. And really, this is what we're there to do. We're there to invest in guys like Alex because he is a young man who is a pastor of a church in El Salvador and uh, needs training. El Salvador is kind of like being in Indiana compared to Ohio. It's just really that close. Uh, they're very small countries. Honduras, landmass-wise, is about the size of Ohio. And so it's not, uh, not real big. Travel's a little harder because the roads aren't as nice, and they tend to have to travel by bus, sometimes 11 to 14 hours on a bus just to get to the seminary. Uh, and then they'll be there for two weeks. We run kind of a perpetual summer school because the, the economy in Honduras, there's oh, well over 40% unemployment. Uh, the economy is not good. When the economy approves here, the economy approves there. They're very much under the umbrella of the United States. And for that reason, they're, they're favorable towards the U.S. and for us being there. But because of the economy, having a residency-style program where people would come and move, kind of like what I did when I moved to California to go to the Master's Seminary, and like most of us did for our training uh, in any area, <clears throat> it's just not feasible because the guys can't leave their home and go find a job and support themselves or their families. And so we kind of do a perpetual modules, uh, summer school, if you will, where every module is a different class. And we have eight of them a year over a four-year program. And that's how we, we accomplish what we're doing. And it works well. Uh, there are still, there's always hurdles to get over. But uh, overall, it works well. But we are thrilled to invest in men's lives like Alex, as he was one of our graduates from last year. You can go on to the next one. <clears throat> This was the classroom project as of uh, just a, a month or two ago, not too long ago. The first two are down at this end, and then there's one here, and there's one here, and uh, kind of an overall area here, so you can see the work being done on, on the classrooms. You can go on to the next one. This was kind of the, the front area, 
in, in progress. You can go forward. And this is what it looks like now. And so we are so grateful for your gift to help us complete this project. And uh, so this has a nice roof over it, kind of a lit up sign and the entryway. There's the one classroom here and another classroom here. And then there's one on the other side of each of those. So it's a very, very uh, wonderful building and just a blessing from the Lord. You can go on to the next one. I've got a few other pictures of it. So that's kind of looking down. These are the two classrooms that you just saw that uh, your loving gift helped us to complete. And we're, we're in there. And this is it from another angle, so you can kind of see it. We're also able to put in a walkway, which is very helpful. We have had a student who is in a wheelchair. We have had a pastor who is in a wheelchair. And so having this walkway is a real blessing. Also during the rainy season, not to have to trudge through the mud. There is a plan for us to, at some point to put a, maybe a covering over that because when it rains, sometimes it rains pretty hard. So this was one of the old provisional classrooms, and it's now our library. This is our library. You can go on to the next one. And we have, they built in just a nice little seating area, picnic area kind of beside that, just to make it beautiful and make it comfortable for the men to study. You can go on to the next one. These are our library shelves. This is one of our next projects. We have, we have shelves to fill. <laughs> we want to fill those shelves with books. And we're now kind of collecting data as to kind of what are the best books to get. It's interesting, you know, there are so many resources in English, especially for studying the Word of God. And you think, well, you know, Spanish, it's the second largest language population group in the world next to Chinese, Mandarin Chinese. But uh, the resources are far fewer. And so one of our goals is to continue to do that. Jackie, our daughter, is actually coming back. Her major in college was Spanish, and she had a minor in linguistics. And so she's very interested in translation work. And obviously the Word of God is translated into Spanish, but there are many wonderful resources that we'd like to see translated into Spanish. And so that's an area that she's looking to participate to help train men for ministry. And so just a real blessing. This is one of our students, Miguel. And uh, he looks like he's enjoying himself. I think he just knew I was taking his picture, so he got a big smile. This is just the way he is. He's a happy guy. This is Kike. This is the young man who you all have supported and are supporting. Uh, Kike is from Colombia, Enrique. Uh, Jorge Enrique is his full name, but um, he goes by Kike. Kike is a wonderful young man. He's in his first year. He he came from Colombia. Colombia is not particularly close to Honduras, but through a conference that was in his country, he, he met a man by the name of Avis Carvallosa. And Dr. Carvallosa, he's kind of a, he's a, he's a, he's a favorite in the Hispanic world because he's one of them. And he is an amazing man who has been trained and knows the Word of God, been trained by some of the, some of the men that, that you might be aware of um, from years past, from Dallas Seminary and, and other excellent training schools from the past. Uh, and so this man met Dr. Carviosa and said, Where, I, I want to be trained. I, I need help to be trained more. Where do I go? And Dr. Carviosa, bless his heart, he said, You need to go to Meta. That's where you need to go. And uh, he's helped to, to, to make that a, a connection and a possibility. That's a blessing because the, the Montoya family, they are Colombian. They are from Colombia originally. They, they, uh, he, Carlos was raised in North Carolina, so he's very much a U- U.S. citizen. And English is his primary language, but his family is from Colombia. And so there's a special place in, in our hearts for Kike. But the other thing we've seen in Kike is he has a servant's heart because we told him we, we need somebody to help run the library, and he has just 
jumped in and just said, I am going to help make this happen. So he's our librarian. And uh, we were able to really update the library uh, inside here. You can just see how beautiful all of that is. And my daughter and, a, and another young man <clears throat> were able to get all the, and with a team of young ladies who were interns, were able to get all the books uh, category, categorized into a computer system. So now we can just scan it. And boy, we've just taken a giant step ahead. And finishing those classrooms made this possible made this possible. And so we just praise the Lord for that. You can go on to the next one. This is Kike. There's a little video. And so I'll, I'll be quiet and let him share with you. So that's that's Kike. <clears throat> Not a blessing. He uh, he really doesn't speak English. He knows a little bit of English, and so he wrote out what he wanted to say in Spanish, and then we kind of helped him translate that into English. And then my wife Sherry kind of coached him on how to how to pronounce enunciate the words, and did a really really good job. At the end, he just wanted to say thank you, and he said, "This is my way of, of telling you thank you for your generosity and your love for the Lord's work." in Honduras. So that's what he said in Spanish there at the end. Uh, Just to give you a little more well-rounded picture of how we are as missionary families, the Montoyas and us as well. The Montoyas and us, we we, we actually both go to the same church. Uh, Not all of the Native missionaries have always gone to the same church, but we we happen to go to the same church. It was helpful for us in our transition uh, because they spoke English. And when we first went to the field in 2013, we didn't speak any Spanish. So that was job number one was learn Spanish. This is our church. Uh, Iglesia Bautista Batania, Bethany Baptist Church, it's called. You can go on to the next one. And this is our our congregation there, and uh, just a, a wonderful church that we have, just like just like yours. Go on to the next one. This is uh, actually uh, on Meta. We have a little bap- baptistry where uh, our church and other churches of, of like-mindedness will come and we're able to baptize. There's only one church I'm aware of in our town that has a place to baptize, and so we use this very frequently. This is Rachel. Rachel is in 
uh, our junior high Sunday school class, and she prayed to accept Christ as her Lord and Savior and wanted to be baptized. We praise the Lord because just last Sunday we had another baptism. So this was from a couple of months ago. We had another baptism, and we had another young lady, Nicole, who accepted Christ, and a young man by the name of Brian. And so we, we as Sherry and I as a couple, are just really enjoying teaching junior high age because for the first time, they're kind of able to start grasping what all this really means and thinking for themselves. And it's such, a, it's such an amazing age to be able to just touch their lives and communicate with them. And, okay, this is what the Lord has done for us. Do you understand what this is? And understand, no, it's not by works. It is by grace. And so it's just a great joy. This is Pastor Raul. He's our pastor, our senior pastor at our church where we attend. So Maida is not a church. We don't have a church on Maida. We attend a local church just like you all do. And so Maida is where we serve and we work in training these men for ministry. But we, as a, as a seminary, we serve the local church because we believe that's the proper model, that the local church is really given the authority to bear God's truth. And we just serve the local church by helping to train, train men for ministry. You can go on to the next one. Another thing in our church, we have a ministry. This is Dr. Karina and uh, one of her lovely little girls. And so she serves. We have a, a clinic ministry in our church, which is just a great need and an opportunity there. As you know, in many countries that are uh, poor, there is a public health care system in Honduras. It's not, it's not the best, um, but when there are needs, it can be met. But the people in our community, there is no local hospital. We don't, we don't have a hospital. It's just a primary care clinic. You can go on to the next one. But uh, we've been blessed. This is Carlos Montoya again and Pastor Raul, that uh, there's been a building that's been built. And that's been a kind of a separate project of our church and uh, raising funds to make that happen. You can go on to the next one. And we're almost there. This is my lovely wife, Sherry, and she's kind of modeling for me here so you can see the inside of the building. And uh, we're almost there. In fact, here fairly soon we're going to be moving uh, equipment into the building to try and make that happen. The whole goal of, of the clinic ministry is to try and show the compassion of Christ to people, but then also to minister them, to share the gospel with them, and uh, to counsel them biblically with the sufficiency of scriptures. And so that's just uh, another place where we have an opportunity to serve. You can go on to the next one. This is our home, and if you at some point, we're to put together a short-term team and come down and visit us. We would love to have you come and sit around our big table, our big Amish oak table that we brought from Ohio. We had bought that a number of years ago. I have a brother with nine children, and when you get together with Thanksgiving, uh, you got to have a lot of space, you know. And so we brought that down, and it's, it's proved to be worthwhile down there as well. And so we would love to have you come and sit around our table with us and, and share in the ministry that's there. There's always many things to do and many things to accomplish for the Lord. You can go on to the next one. There's a little Bible study that we have back behind Meta. Uh, you know, we, we all have our day jobs and we all have our things that we do at church, but the Lord also calls each one of us to do personal evangelism. And so this, is, this was our uh, first attempt in Spanish to do personal evangelism. And we praise the Lord because we've seen, not everyone here knows the Lord, but she, Mirlin, she came to know the Lord uh, through just visiting her and repeatedly sharing the gospel. This is her daughter, Jamie. She also has come to Christ. Marilyn as well. I think she may have already known the Lord. Danielle professes to know the Lord. 
Uh, he's, he's, he's a hard guy. He's a hard guy. But we're working with him. We're working with him. And so every Sunday, and now we just switched it to Saturday because they thought that might work better, we go back and we, we've been teaching through Romans just like you just finished. And uh, we're going through it just a little bit quicker, but not much. <laughs> but it's been, it's been good. And so... Uh, we don't know what the Lord's going to do with that. You know, when we jump into these things, we don't always know what the Lord's going to do, but onward, right? You can go on to the next one. And this is, we have a kid's Bible study as well. So this is Sherry and our daughter Jackie uh, just ministering to them. Our church in Ohio had provided these little color-coded bells. And it's really neat. You hold up a little card, and if the card has your color on it, you ring your color bell. And you play music. It's really neat. It's a neat little thing, and the kids just love it. Uh, in, a, in a house like that, it, your ears kind of ring after a while, but it's really neat. So you can go on to the next one. So again, this is Sepe. Um, we are grateful. So thank you so much for your investment in Meta and Sepe, and especially in the life of Kike, because by blessing him, we're able to bless him. And more than that, we're going to impact the country of Colombia through through what we're partnering with and what we're accomplishing at Meta. You can go on to the next one. I think that's the last one. Wonderful. So I, I wanted to take the rest of our time this morning and just go to the Word of God and just think about what the Word of God says about missions, what it says about communicating uh, the Word of God in other places, in other countries, and, and how is it and why is it that we think that by training men for ministry that that's the best way to accomplish it? You know, there are some very, very simple things that we can say. One thing is, you know, culturally in a place like Honduras or Central America, a guy like me kind of sticks out. You know, I don't, I, I speak Spanish now uh, at some level, you know, and I will never be, and I will always have an accent. I will, I will never be a native Spanish speaker. I will never look like them. I will never understand their culture as fully as they understand their own culture, right? And so why would we not want to train men who understand their culture, understand their language, understand some of the pitfalls and some of the trials within the church? Why would we not want to train them to go and plant churches, to go and lead churches, to go teaching them all that the Lord has commanded us? to go and do that work. And so that really is the heart behind both TMAI, uh, the Master's Academy International, which is, again, that group of seminaries that do what we do, and, of course, us at, at Meta. And so if you would turn in your Bible to Matthew 28, we're going we're gonna to look at the king's mandate to his subjects, the king's mandate to his subjects. And <clears throat> we're going to look at three different passages to understand this mandate from the king. We're going to understand the manner of the mandate from the Great Commission. We're going to understand the means of this mandate from Ephesians chapter 4, and then the method from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. So looking at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, if you, if you study the Word of God, you find out that each one of the four Gospels has kind of a different theme. It focuses on a different area. And really the main theme of the book of Matthew is that Christ is King. Christ is King. The very first verse of Matthew, Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, 
opens up and it talks about Jesus being the son of Abraham and the son of David. So from the very beginning, we see that he is a son of the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, but he is also the son of the Davidic covenant, that one who will reign forever on the throne of David. We see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And that theme of the king is carried all throughout the book of Matthew until we arrive here at the end of the very end of the book in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, where Jesus is having his final discussion, at least the final one in the book of Matthew, with his disciples in Galilee. And it says in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen, it says, Now the eleven disciples went on to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Well, when did he direct them? Well, he directed them, I want you to go to Galilee from the, from the time in the upper room before his crucifixion. And so after his crucifixion, they went to Galilee because that's what the Lord had told them to do. He said, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, some people think, well, boy, some of the, some of the disciples doubted in the, in the resurrection of Jesus. No, probably not. Because if we were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6, that's that passage that tells us that over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. And if, if you study the different appearances of Christ after the resurrection, most likely this was where those 500 were. They went to Galilee, and so there were more than just the 11 disciples that were there at that time, but there were 500 plus the 11 that were there at that time, and some of those were not yet fully believers. Some of them doubted. They didn't, didn't quite know. But Jesus... Uh, Jesus went there, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, we've read that many times, but I, I just wonder how many times we read that, thinking about the fact that the theme of the book of Matthew is Jesus as king. King over all, over all creation. And when he says, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me, he means it. It's true. Because he is the king. And this king has something to say to his subjects. That would be us, right? Those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now, my loyal subjects, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you what your instructions are. And so when the king tells you something, you know, you're, you're supposed to do it, right? I mean, that's just kind of the way the whole king thing works. I know here in the U.S. we're, we're not that king thing. But uh, if we were in a kingdom, and ultimately there will be a kingdom, the millennial kingdom, I believe, where Jesus will reign and rule, just like he said, from the throne of David, from Jerusalem. And when the heavenly king tells us, the king of the universe says, here, I have something I want you to do. Well, we better listen to what he has to say, right? We better listen and do what, what, he, what he wants us to do. So we see the king's mandate here within these final two verses of the Great Commission, the king's mandate to his subjects. And it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are so familiar with this passage, I trust. We've heard this many times. But I just want to point out just a few things here, because we see here in this great commission the manner in which the king wants us to carry out his mandate. We see the manner in which he wants to do it. And the very first thing that he tells us to do is what? Go. Go, 
right? We, we can't share the gospel with other people. We can't make disciples if we're just sitting at home, right? Now, for some of us, that means go to Honduras, right? For some of us, that may mean go back to our home in India, like Sam or, or wherever else, and, and share the gospel, right? I know you've had short-term trips going back to India and I'm sure other places. And, and so sometimes that means yeah, going back to other places in the world, but it doesn't necessarily always mean that for all of us, right? Some of us, we just need to go next door and, hey, Bill, Susie, Bob, how you doing? Can I help you with something? Hey, there's something I want to talk to you about. We can do that. We can do that. So as you're going, now, if you study this, you see that this go isn't necessarily a mandate. It's not in the command form, but it has, has the force of a command. And so as you are going, he says, you are to make disciples of all nations. Now, this is a place where I believe that many people misunderstand the Great Commission. And, and they misunderstand it because they think that when we go, we're just supposed to share the gospel, get them saved, sometimes as we may put it in that terminology, and then, whew, that was good, we, we completed our task. But no, we, we, if we understand the gospel, and, and I'm sure we do, that's just phase one, right? I mean, how would it be for us as parents if, you know, we, we, we had this baby and we waited nine months for this baby to come? And, and, and the baby, you know, mom, oh, she's ready. And boom, the baby comes. Oh, this is so wonderful. Look at that baby. It's been born. Whew, our work is done. And you just leave that baby sitting there. No, 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 no. That, that's just not going to work, is it? That's just not going to work. Who would do that? When somebody accepts Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're babies, right, in Christ. They're, sure, they're mature adults oftentimes, but they're babes in Christ. They, they need to be discipled. They need to be trained. They need to be fed. They need to be changed. They need to be loved. They need to be kept warm. All of those things. That's what Jesus told us in John chapter 3. We're babes in Christ. It's a new birth. Well, making disciples is the process of the whole thing. It's a lifetime, it's a lifetime event, right? It involves a lifetime of being made a disciple. And so we are to go and we're to share the gospel. That's step number one, right? Gotta, gotta have that baby. But then once you have that baby, okay, now the work really begins, right? I mean, we got some parents in here. We, we understand this, that the work just begins. And, and the, we, in our family, we have three adult children right now. And I was thinking, boy, when they get to be adults, whew, huh, sometimes it's harder when they're adult children, Right? It's sometimes it's just harder when they're adults because the questions are harder. They're, they're struggling with tougher stuff, tougher decisions. Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do for my life? I don't have enough money. You know, what do I do? Parenting doesn't end. Discipleship doesn't end. It's an ongoing lifetime, lifetime event, if you will, that has to keep on going. And so we are to make disciples of all nations, all nations, we understand that. And we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we believe, I'm sure as you do, that baptism is simply a means of communicating to the world. It's a testimony by which we can communicate to the world that, hey, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so by being baptized, we demonstrate to the world outwardly what Christ has already done in our hearts inwardly. We call that believer's baptism, right? Because as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been baptized in Christ, as it tells us in his death in Romans chapter 6. And so because of that, we want to testify to the world. But I've asked my junior high kids this question a few times. I said, so, hey, so you want to be baptized, 
Where are you going to go? I know. You're going to go to the supermarket, aren't you? And you're going to go to the supermarket and you're going to say, hey, excuse me, could you baptize me? And they all look at me kind of like some of you are like, that's silly. What, what are you talking about? And I, okay, no, 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 I understand. No, you're right. That is silly. You, you'd go to the bank, wouldn't you? You would. You'd go to the bank. I mean, that's what. No, not the bank. You go, a baseball game? No. Where do you go? You go to the church. Well, why do you go to the church? Because the church has the authority to baptize, right? The church has the authority to baptize. And so I really believe what the king is telling us here, that as we're going and making disciples, we are to baptize them. But baptizing them is actually a couple of different things. One, it's a testimony of the world that I am a part of Christ. But it's also a testimony of the world that I am a part of the body of Christ. And the identifiable body of Christ is... The local church is the local church, right? And so Jesus says you need to make disciples. You need to baptize them. And by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are identifying them with the local body of believers. Why? Because we need the local body of believers. Who else is going to take care of us when we're hungry? Who else is going to help us when we're hurting? Who else is going to help us be warm when we're cold? But that's why we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And so part of this great commission is identifying us with the body of Christ. So critical. So critical. And then we get to this part here in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Wow. On Wednesday night, if you're willing to come back, and I hope you will, we're going to talk about what is your source for truth What is your source for truth? That's a very important question these days. It's a very important question. And we understand the source for truth is right here, the Word of God. But on Wednesday, we're going to look at, well, what are some other options that people raise as sources for truth, and why are they not good sources for truth? Things that try to get integrated into the church of today, and why we as a church need to be on guard against that. Well, that's one of the things that the Lord teaches us in his word and this source of truth, right? What to be on guard for. But how is it that we're going to be taught within the local church? Well, we, we need someone to, to help us, right? That's, that someone is called a pastor, right? It's called a shepherd, an overseer, right? And so this is the manner, the Great Commission, in which the Lord has told us to go out. We're to go out and we're to share the gospel. First of all, we're to go. We're to share the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. We've got to keep on making disciples. We need to baptize them to be obedient to the Lord. But in baptizing them, we're also identifying them with the local church. And then we have to be teaching them, teaching them, teaching them. What? Well, teaching them all that he commanded us. Where do we have that? We have it in the Word of God. Right? So that's the manner in which we are to carry out this mandate of the king. But what's the means? Well, that's where the, the pastor comes in. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, the first part of the chapter, talks about unity within the church, such a key part and in, in, in necessity within the church. But Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. So I believe there aren't any apostles anymore, and we could talk about that in another discussion. And, and there, there aren't any prophets. We don't need more prophecy. We have all the prophecy we need right here in the Word of God. It has been completed. We have the full canon of Scripture. 
Evangelists, some people will say, well, that's kind of like missionaries. Well, okay, that's fine. We all should be evangelists. We just studied that. Go and, and share the gospel, make disciples. But then we have shepherds and teachers. I believe those are pastors, right? Those are past shepherd. The word is pastor. And so we have pastors. And, and, and why do we have these? What we see is that God has given gifts to the church. God has given gifts to the church. Originally, he gave the apostles and the prophets to help get us the word of God. There are evangelists. There are those who go out and share the gospel, right, to, to foreign lands and, and even within our own neighborhoods. But then he gives us pastors and teachers to be overseers and leaders within the local church. And what does it say? Why does he do that? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Hey, you, you guys know that here. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of people doing work of ministry. That's a good thing. That means Pastor Steve and the other elders are doing a great job. But sometimes we forget as the body of Christ that, hey, the, the pastor doesn't have to do all the work. In fact, we're supposed to be doing all the work as the body of Christ. And so, but his job, their job as the pastors, the elders of the church, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so we see here in Ephesians chapter 4 in these verses that the means in which God wants us to make disciples and the means by which we are to teach them all that Jesus commanded is by having pastors to help lead us, right? We understand that in Scripture. We understand that from other passages of Scripture, the importance of leadership. Well, sometimes missionaries forget that too. Sometimes missionaries forget the fact that, you know, just sharing the gospel and, and seeing people saved and then starting a church and then wishing them the best isn't necessarily the best way to do it. Or sometimes they do it, and again, they have a guy who looks like me being the pastor over the congregation of a, of a different people group that doesn't look like me, and that's not necessarily the best either right? There, there may be a role for that to help it get going if that's the man that God has called to that job. But really the best thing is the man who speaks the language, who knows the culture, who knows his people, who is then trained to carry out the work of the ministry. And so the manner we see in the Great Commission, the means we see through pastors. Pastors, how can you have a church without a pastor? A church without a pastor is really not a church, Right? A church without a pastor is not a church. It needs a pastor. It needs a shepherd. It's like sheep wandering around without their shepherd. That's not helpful, right? And so the means by which we ought to be managing or handling this great commission is by training men for ministry to be overseers of their local, of their local churches. And then we see the method by which that should happen. And we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And that's our final point this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul, in talking to his son in the faith, Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 2 it says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay, so that is the method by which we need to be training these faithful men, these faithful pastors, is those of us who have been called to be shepherds 
that we need to go and we need to train other men to be faithful shepherds, right? And we need to go train them how to lead in their church. And that involves more than just the classroom work. That's something that Carlos Montoya in the video mentioned, and that, you know, the classroom work is part of it. Learning Greek, learning Hebrew, understanding your theology, that's part of it. But there's another part of it, too, and that's the discipling part, right? If you're making disciples, you have to disciple. But if you're discipling pastors, you need to disciple them in how to be a pastor, and how, how it is to serve your church and to help your church to grow, to equip them to do the work of the ministry, right? It is critical. And so that's another big part of what we do. You know, they get a chance to see how do Rob and Sherry interact? How do they live? They know we're not perfect. We, we, we don't always see eye to eye, but how do they handle that? Do they handle that by getting in a big fight? Do they handle that by looking to Scripture, trying to speak lovingly? Do they, do, do they live godly lives? You know, that, that, that's what God has called us to do and asked us to do. The men come to us with questions. You know, I got this situation in the church, and I'm just not sure what to do. That happens all the time, all the time. And we praise the Lord that it does. Because, you know, there's sometimes I'm like, yeah, that's a really good question. I'm not sure what to do either. <laughs> let's get a few more men. Let's pray about it. Let's, let's look at Scripture and try and figure out how to handle this situation, how to help these dear people of your church. That's, that's, what, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And I just want to really close by just sharing with you that as we follow the king's mandate and we follow the manner and the means and the method by which he's called us to do it, thank you for partnering with us to make that, make that possible. Thank you for investing in the, in the buildings so that we can have a place to train these men. Thank you for investing in the life of Kike, one of our men to be trained. I, I don't know what the Lord's going to do in his life, but I, he's going to touch another country in another way for training men for ministry because Kike is a sharp young man and he's excited for what the Lord is, is training him in. He's very early on in his studies and I just look forward to seeing what, what the Lord will do. And so thank you for your partnering with us in the ministry and thank you for being a faithful church here. Thank you for supporting your pastors and your elders and uh, following a biblical model in that way because that's what we want to continue to do. Just like it says here, just like it said, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the last promise that the Lord gives us at the end of the Grand Great Commission is what? Lo, I will be with you always. You're not alone. You're not alone. I'm going to be with you. Why don't we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this time. I thank you for the privilege of sharing the ministry that you're doing in Meta and Honduras and Central America. But I also thank you for your ministry here. I just pray that you continue to bless us as we partner together to see your work done in the Spanish-speaking world. We just ask for your hand of blessing upon these men who are being trained, that you would give them the strength to accomplish the task. Many of them are poor. Many of them are already pastoring, and they have many things to do. They're, they're working to try and support their families, and Lord, we just pray your blessing upon them. We pray especially for Kike this morning. We just pray your blessing upon him. Pray for the relationship that it might grow uh, between he and uh, and the church here, that you would just uh, honor that, and Lord, that you would use the investment to accomplish your great commission. Lord, we are grateful to you for all, most of all, that we have the joy of being a part of this ministry of reconciliation. As you've told us, Lord, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are able to participate in this, and this is only by your grace. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.